Welcome to the Cybertraps Podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the books School X and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I'm a former educational leader at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and education consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethics for Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyberethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Advocacy. <laughs> you know, Jethro, it's good to actually be able to speak. So there we are. Good morning. <laughs> good morning, indeed. Great to see you. This is going to be a, a great conversation today. Any any updates on what you're doing before we get into it? Well, the writing process continues, so that's an ongoing thing. Very specifically, I had the pleasure of speaking in a friend's class uh, for Fordham University on issues related to speech and to censorship and the distinctions in our creative world among art and pornography and obscenity, because he teaches a course on art and ethics. So that will touch on some of the things we're covering today. Excellent. Very good. How about yourself? Well, I've uh, been spending a lot of time talking about my book. I'm doing a Twitter chat tomorrow night to talk about it uh, called Hashtag Culture Ed. Well, there's only oh, one E in there, so cultured is how it's spelled. So, uh, okay. so check that out. Um, and it uh, should be good. It's with uh, Mike Kelly and Tara DeCidrio, I think is how you pronounce her name. I probably got that wrong, so sorry, Tara, in advance. But um, but they, they always have a good chat, and those happen every Tuesday night at uh, 8 or 9 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Looking forward to that. That should be good. Well, that's great. I will uh, drop in and see what Excellent. people are chatting about. Sounds good. Good idea. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get into our topic for today, which is the metaverse. And mm-hmm. our, our title today is a little provocative, as sometimes happens. It is Virtual World Real Dangers, which, you know, this is what we keep coming back to, that there is there is something out there. And, and you thought of this because you saw the thing from Channel 4 on BBC. Why don't you, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, and actually, just in case we have any UK listeners, we do need to be, I think, specific that... Channel 4 is actually an independent television station over there, separate from the BBC. So the BBC, oh, may, wish they, <laughs> the BBC may wish they had done this, but <laughs> in fact, let's give Channel 4 credit where credit is due. And yes, um, in my usual survey of tech-related cyber traps research, um, I came across 
an article or two referencing a documentary that Channel 4 is releasing tonight. And the title of their documentary, which helped inspire the title of our show, <laughs> is Inside the Metaverse, Are You Safe? And well, we're going to answer that question today pretty <laughs> definitively. But the thing is that uh, the journalist in question, um, a young person named Yinka Bokina, Bokini, again, my apologies for the pronunciation, led the production of this documentary. And she posed in the metaverse, and we'll explain more about what all of that is, but she went in and posed as a 22-year-old woman and as a 13-year-old girl. And the documentary is about the response that she received with those persona when she was in these virtual spaces. Um, we can, without doing too much of a spoiler here, say that she was pretty horrified yeah. by what happened to her, both as an adult, but especially as a child. Well, and and this is an important thing to be aware of. These this technology is still very early adopter stage, right? There very is, much so. yeah. There is, there is, uh, it, it really does not exist yet, and this is, um, this is a a big part of it is that it's currently being developed, and we're watching it in real time. And one of the things that you and I have talked about numerous times is that when we do, when we all learn something together then it puts us at a disadvantage compared to when parents can learn something when they were kids and then they teach it to their kids and expose kids to the appropriate things at the appropriate times, et cetera. And, and in this situation, you know, one of the major things we're going to talk about is that you, you're, they say you're not going to be able to create accounts as children, but we already know how impossible that is to prevent from happening. So (laughs) kids are going to be in here and kids are probably in here before most adults are. Oh, absolutely. Because this presses all the buttons for kids, right? It's kind of cool new tech. It's Mm -hmm. cutting edge. There's games and fun things to do. And absolutely, it's, it's custom built to be attractive to kids. You know, but the question is whether or not the social media companies who are building this and the programming companies and the apps will exercise even the slightest societal responsibility (laughs) in terms of protecting some of our more vulnerable members of society. Before we move into what the metaverse is, I do want to remind people that we always put together show notes with probably way more information than you need. Way more. But in in this specific case, I was able to dig up a URL uh, to the documentary, which Channel 4 makes available to the public. Actually, there's a number of other documentaries that are now on my watch list that I need to go through and see. But in our show notes is a link to this documentary, which is airing tonight at 8 p.m. Britain time, UK time. So that's about three o'clock in the afternoon here. But thereafter, people should just be able to go to the URL. So. Yeah, and by the time you're listening to this and not watching it live on Facebook, which we do every Monday at 9 Pacific, 12 Eastern, then you uh, it'll already be up and active. So just hit the show notes page at cybertraps.com and you'll be able to see uh, that link and all the other links that we have, of which there are many today, and a great outline to give an idea of, of what all we're talking about so that you can still get some great information from this. Uh, we love putting this stuff together for listeners because... It feels like it really adds depth to the podcast, gives people things to think about, 
certainly educates us as we're going along. So before we get into the metaverse, which I know you've taken a real look at, Jethro, in terms of how it's developing and unfolding, I did want to make my ever so rare use of my classics degree from college, (laughs) (laughs) because this is really important to me. I didn't waste four years. So the word metaverse is actually a combination of the Greek prefix meta, because I did Greek and Latin. So meta is after or beyond. So metadata is beyond data. That's the extra stuff that people put into files of one kind or another. And you combine meta with universe. And in utterly grandiose terms, what Zuckerberg is talking about is creating something that is beyond the universe. And if that's not like God level ego, I don't know what it is. I think it is meta God level ego because it is beyond what God did. So anyway, I think there's some, yeah, there's a lot we could read into that. And, and really, what does that actually mean? That's the really hard thing is that it is totally vague. It's totally complex because it could mean a different thing to every person out there. Um, but it typically includes some sort of virtual reality or a virtual world. Um, do you remember second life, Fred? Of course. Yeah. Yes. I mean, this is like, almost 20 years ago now that that was that was taken off and it was you know this idea was that you could go into this space and do things in this second life quote unquote and the thing that's a real challenge is that there's no real definition of what the metaverse is that anybody can create basically anything and say this is this is part of the metaverse and really by by design i believe that is the whole point, which I think is why Facebook changed their name to Meta to be able to say that you know we have a we have a stake in the ground, we have a, a a flag down saying this is our territory, and I think that Facebook is going to welcome as many people as possible into their ecosystem because that drives what they're doing already, and that's what they want and honestly need. Absolutely. And we'll explore that in a second, but I'm going to go old school on you here just a little bit because, you know, this concept of a virtual world obviously has been kicking around for a long time. I mean, you could even look at something like Lord of the Rings as being kind of a virtual world or any of Jules Verne or Mm -hmm. H.G. Wells or some of these other folks. Or any fiction. Well, yeah, actually, right, (laughs) any fiction. But in practical terms, in terms of creating a virtual world in which people played, I think in some ways Dungeons & Dragons from the early 70s was the progenitor of a lot of this. And hysterical story, I actually was forbidden from playing Dungeons & Dragons by my parents because one of the things that arose were these very bizarre articles of people trying to do real world versions of Dungeons and Dragons and spaces like the New York subway tunnels and things like that. So my mother was panic stricken that I was yeah. going to get sucked into this game and wind up dead in like, you know, Times Square. <laughs> yeah. If, if so, only she knew what parents today um, have to worry about. <laughs> she, yeah. She, she knew a little bit. And we did not talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so the whole concept of a metaverse, I think you're putting your finger on it, right? We've got this idea that we're going to go beyond two dimensions. We're going to go into three now. We're going to create representations, avatars of 
us as individuals. And we're going to use those avatars to interact with each other in some kind of computer created space. Mm-hmm. And you know the, the thing that is really new and, and I think um, challenging right now is that the virtual reality headset technology is starting to take off. Mm-hmm. And so you, we're inching closer to this idea probably best represented by Star Trek, the next generation of the holodeck, right? Where, where the, you can make physical these virtual worlds. Now, obviously that's probably a ways off, but you know, there are lots of geeks who walk that, watch that show. I know that's their end game. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and the thing is, is that you create this new environment where you can live a second life for lack of a better word, or you can participate in things that you would not be able to participate in, in the real world. And so this, you know, the idea of how you access it, which, you know, the holodeck is one version way down where you feel like you are in that real space and it becomes real to you um, versus what we have today, which are these big goggles that cover your eyes and uh, block everything else out and you're you're immersed in there to you know just using a thing on the screen um, and and there's all these different ways that you can access it eventually we'll have contact lenses that you know put stuff up on your displays in your eyes which you know in a lot of ways that sounds like a really cool idea in practicality it's you know there are a lot of issues. And I remember when Google Glass came out a few years ago. Oh, what a disaster. <laughs> yeah. And there were, you know, the idea that you could walk into a room and basically do facial scans of everybody that was there and get their social profiles, information about them and all this kind of stuff. Like talk about an invasion of privacy. And that was just that was just one of the demos, right? <laughs> like that's look how cool this is. You can remember people's names at a party that you should already know and but then there's that whole next level of, you know, all the all the bad stuff that can come from that of which there is a lot. Yes, well I will say as as a uh, older user of technology, I have more sympathy for that idea <laughs> I than know, I right? <laughs> Yeah. But and and I do, you know, look, we've had we've had privacy discussions all along and we'll touch on that because there are unique privacy issues with respect to virtual reality. But, you know, that thing to give Google a little bit of credit, you know, if they're pulling up publicly available social media information, that's not really the invasion of privacy. The invasion of privacy is if they start collecting data from that. So imagine for instance you're wearing Google glasses, you walk into a room, you do the facial recognition of everybody who's there. That may be based on public information, but now the list of who's associating with each other is given to Google. And that is arguably an invasion of privacy, particularly if it's in a private home. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. no, believe. And that that actually, let's let's talk about who can access the metaverse and things like that. Then we'll get into the harms and we'll talk about the privacy piece more. Yeah. So the first place is the uh, Facebook's uh, Oculus Quest, which is now called the Meta Quest, which is kind of a meta name also. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> which is, I think, around four to five hundred dollars, something like that. Is it really? I, I didn't actually. I should have looked it up, but I didn't. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to because I yeah. I need to 
I need to see that and figure out how much it does actually cost. I think that's important. But it's it's accessible, which means that normal people that are not super into technology could go out and buy this and say this could be a cool thing. And right. I and some and some people just along those lines, Jethro, use it for watching TV without disturbing their spouse. So oh, yeah. you can you can feed into it your various streaming services and cable stuff. This, I'm not going to say that this isn't a conversation that hasn't come up in our household <laughs> occasionally, but you know, this is there are other legitimate uses for this besides creeping people out online. Yeah, MetaQuest Two is three hundred dollars. You see, already that's down. I remember when these first came out; they were over a thousand dollars a pair yeah. at least. Yeah, yeah. So, and this is the thing, right? How long before you know the average seven-year-old can have one of? And gets one for his birthday or Christmas, right? right. Or gets the older version from the high school yes. student older sibling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, come on. We've talked about the trickle-down effect of technology a number of times. But we get back to the pace of change and the ability of parents to monitor. Because think about this. With a virtual headset like Oculus, and actually, we should. I should throw a photo. I can do this now. Um, in our show notes, we should throw a photo of what the set looks like. But there's no way for a parent to see what the child mm-hmm. is doing when they are immersed in this virtual reality. So just at a surface level, it is more difficult to monitor even than a smartphone. Yeah. So we have this this sliding scale of. Uh, of one-on-one where we start with the TV in the, in the house and everybody can hear the TV. Everybody can see what's on the TV. Then we go to a computer that it's not quite as easy to see what's on the TV, but you still can. Then we go to a phone, which is even more difficult. Now we have these, um, these virtual reality headsets that, um, you know, you, you have no idea what's going on. And I'm sure that you've seen the funny TikTok videos of, Old people playing the using the quest, Oculus Quest and I'm sorry, which people? At old people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that's, that's ages. <laughs> is, but but the thing is, is that I I remember back in the day playing uh, Nintendo like Mario Kart early sure. early days, and you'd like turn yeah. the wheel, you know, of course, and right, lean right. to get it to go. And now you actually have to do that, and so. Um, I feel bad for people who are of the senior generation because if they played these games, they moved but didn't do anything. Now they move, and it really does do something, but then they overcorrect. And anyway, that's that's hey, beyond well, the, the focus here. I invented those moves when I played Pong, so I don't yeah. want to. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. There you go. So you get these apps for the for the devices, whatever they are, and you can download them from the Oculus Quest store, and you can you can then enter these spaces and you can do different, like you don't have to have Oculus Quest to use certain apps. Um, you can use something else to, to get those. And, and what they say is we do not allow, we, they say we prohibit anyone under 13 from creating Quest accounts and design some experiences only for people 18 and over. And they add, we have a suite of VR parental supervision tools to help parents and carers who choose to allow teens 13 over to use a headset to monitor their use, limit the time they spend using it, and ensure they take breaks. How's that working with smartphones, and how's that going to work with 
a VR thing. The definition of insanity <laughs> is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And by that definition, they're nuts. You know, yeah. because we we are giving children, and I use the kind of collective we, I know there are exceptions and all of this, but we are giving children access to technology that have very few guardrails or safety protections for them. And they do not necessarily have the context to use them safely. I mean, Roblox of all things, and we keep trying to get uh, one of uh, my colleagues from Roblox to come on the show and I'm gonna keep trying. But if you're a minor using Roblox, you can receive invitations to adult themed clubs in that service. And of course, you know, there are other issues with Fortnite, with, you know, some of the uh, virtual world games like World of Warcraft and things like that. So I think we're, we have not, I guess my argument is we have not made a commitment as a society to figure out what the appropriate boundaries are for children and how to help parents enforce those. Yeah, and I think that this is a a good place to bring in the story from CNBC that that I'd like okay. to share just a little bit. This is Ed Wood. He is the CEO of, I believe it's called uh, CCS. Um, I think that's that's the name of his company, um, which is a a um, which is in this space. So let's hear from from him. The challenge with the metaverse is it's a very nebulous term. So we've got Mark Zuckerberg's meta vision of almost like an arcade game that you insert yourself into. And then we've got the more grounded version of virtual and augmented reality, which might augment your life in a very simple way. No company has been more active and more vocal about the metaverse than Facebook, which changed its name to Meta at the end of 2021 to reflect its all-in attitude. We're at the beginning of a long journey. Meta had to do something that was a statement to grab people's attention. And if you look at the huge amounts of money that they're investing, they had to justify that investment. My personal belief is that we've already had an interesting step in the right direction with the pandemic because we're starting to live more blended lives. You know, we're working from home, we're coming back to the office. Some of that will continue to exist and there will be elements of that that will lend themselves to a metaverse-like experience. I think that there, one of the things is, number one, was anything else going on that maybe Facebook wanted to distance itself from the name Facebook around the time they changed to Meta? Yes, there were congressional hearings, there were accusations that they were intentionally putting kids in harm's way. And so the strategy to change your name is definitely something that could divert attention away from what they were doing um, and all that negative press they were getting and help them distance themselves from that idea and then just, you know, focus entirely in this other area where, as as uh, Ed said, they are spending billions of dollars investing to make it happen. They absolutely are. And, and I think your point about um, misdirection or redirection of the company name is an important one because that's a fairly well-defined strategy. I think it gets to a couple of other things, one of which you alluded to earlier is this idea of basically setting down a stake in this broader concept of the metaverse. If you actually name your company after this thing you're trying to build, well, it looks very organic, doesn't mm -hmm. it? Like that's exactly what they're trying to do. 
But I think the broader issue here is that companies from the dawn of the internet have struggled with monetization and how you're actually going to make money. And if you're not, you know, if, if you're physically selling something across the internet, that's one thing. But if your whole business model are bits and pixels, which is really what social media is, mm-hmm. then you've got to figure out ways in which you can get people to invest in those bits and pixels. And so Zuckerberg is quite literally trying to build a world in which Meta will have a role to play in every single transaction that occurs within this universe. And people, as as you know, and I don't know if you've run into this with your kids, but people, and particularly children, will happily spend large amounts of money on software or uh, weapon upgrades or whatever it is within these virtual worlds. And, you know, we've, we've alluded to this, we should do an entire show at some point on the financial risks for parents of kids getting caught up in this. I mean, how many people discover that their bank account is half empty because the kids doing Candy Crush and buying upgrades or something like that? Yeah. And so having some systems in place to prevent kids from accessing financial resources and preventing kids from accessing inappropriate content and all of that are necessary. And while there's a lot of talk about that possibly happening in this Channel 4 documentary really exposes that those things, um, the the bad stuff is the first place that people go when they get involved in, in these communities. And that's... Um, Oftentimes that's true, right? Yeah. Because people who want to take advantage of that, who want the Wild West aspect of a new technology like this, are going to be the ones who flood it. Mm-hmm. Because they have the tech savvy, they want to enter a place where they know that the rules are fewer and that things are just getting set up. And so I suspect, without having seen the documentary, but having read the reporter's summation, um, I suspect that's a lot of what is happening, this idea of no rules. And that's really scary because society requires a certain number of rules to function or else it's it's just the jungle. Right. And and those who are weakest are going to be taken advantage of. And so they're... Yes, trampled. Yeah, yeah there needs to be uh, this uh, a way to ensure that people are protected when they go on there, that they don't get exposed to uh, the wrong things or that they have control over exiting. And, and one of the stories that I was reading said that the only way for the woman to escape the virtual world was to forcibly rip her headset off. And that like uh, when we had Heather Staker on Cybertrap, she talked about crash and burn with your computer. Like if you see something inappropriate on the website, you teach your kids to crash and burn, they close the lid and then they bring it to you. And then you can, you can deal with that and talk through it. And this is a, a strategy that if you can develop the trust with your kids to bring difficult things to you, it's it's huge and it makes such a big difference because it's not about punishing them. It's about talking through those things as opposed to 
just getting mad at them. And it creates a completely different relationship that is incredibly powerful because kids are just exploring and trying to figure things out. They don't always know the right answer or what they should do. Or if something makes them uncomfortable, they don't know how to how to deal with it all the time. So it's important to have those um, those opportunities to have a conversation about what they see and whether or not it is um, something that is okay in your family norms and what you believe. And, and that really is an important conversation to have regardless of what you believe, right? I'm obviously much more conservative on this stuff and don't want my kids exposed to pornography and sexual violence and things like that. And, and, you know, a, a different parent may have a different view of that and that's their right as a parent, but they still should be the ones determining that, not some random person on the internet. Right, or some programmed algorithm, which yes. has all kinds of assumptions in it <laughs> yes. that we may or may not know. So yeah, look, we're on exactly the same page with respect to that, that from my perspective as a real free speech advocate, the best way to protect speech is to make sure that the smallest possible unit is making the decision about speech choices. And that's the family. The family is absolutely in the best position to decide what content, what speech they're going to consume as a unit. But those choices are limited to the boundaries of that family. Mm-hmm. With you know, There are some very limited exceptions. We've talked about contraband material and the government having a legitimate role in that because that's such a huge transnational problem. But by and large, you know, whether it's, you know, somebody watching like the Benny Hill show or something like that, let the family decide and yeah. go from there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell us about, uh, we've talked a little bit about parental controls, but what about proximity shields? What is, tell oh, us God. about that. That's just, it's just so sad that almost immediately that concept had to be introduced. So I had actually flagged this topic, Jethro, for us to take a look at like three months ago. Because um, as you'll see in the show notes, there are two or three articles that popped up um, at the beginning of the year where basically um, a, a woman went online and almost immediately had people approaching her avatar and trying to physically grope her. And physically, of course, virtually virtual grope her. To, yeah. Virtually <laughs> grope her, right. Virtually um, physically grope her. But, but making, making motions that appeared physical yeah. <laughs> in a mm-hmm. virtual world, there was no illusion. There, I mean, there was no hiding what they were trying to do to this woman. And when those articles came out, um, Meta and its program, Meta, you know, Meta uh, and the programmers who work there, rewrote the code for the quote-unquote metaverse so that the avatars could not come within, I think it was four feet, four virtual feet of each other. Uh-huh. But the problem is that it is still possible for a group of, for lack of, a, you know, just we'll make assumptions, but a group of male avatars to surround a woman and basically corner her and act in vile and disgusting ways because they can, they can make motions about their own body, which right. are disgusting and sexually oriented. Um, even if they can't quote unquote touch her, they can still make her feel extraordinarily uncomfortable. And that's just the movement piece. We're not even addressing the speech piece. 
which is what these avatars can literally say to other avatars. And there appear to be very, very few constraints on that. Yeah. And so there are, you know, the, the speech issue, if it is actually talking is much harder to police than text. Right. And so you can see someone's tweet on Twitter and you can put in specific filters to block that and not have it show up in your timeline. And you can, they can create algorithms that ensure that that is taken off. That is more possible, but still challenging to do with actual speech. So I have a little uh, bleeper button in case one of us swears. Not that we actually need do that on this show, but we that exists. But it's a fair precaution. I work in New York. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so that is a mechanism that we have in in a broadcast television and radio to be able to bleep someone out if they say something. And there's basically someone sitting there with their finger on the button the whole time, ready to do that with a seven second delay. But the thing is, is that in this virtual world, it is nearly impossible to maintain that. And so um, you can review recordings and transcripts of, of what happened and then, you know, find fault and things like that. But that's after the damage has already been done. And, and that's a challenge that I don't think we have a good answer for um, right now in any shape at all. Well, it's interesting, having just done these two lectures at Fordham University on all of this, <laughs> it, it, is, it is perfectly timely to be talking about this kind of regulation. And one of the points that I was trying to make to the students is that when you really look at the First Amendment, it is a remarkably radical concept. It, you know, we, there's this huge debate going on, obviously, across the US about the concept of American exceptionalism and what that means and how it plays out in our dealings with the world. But it is indisputable that the First Amendment is an exceptional document. Mm-hmm. It was the first, the first prohibition against governmental interference with speech that was ever adopted. That's a, that's a remarkable legacy. Now, what we're discovering is that it's very problematic sometimes, right? Because the the rise of social media meant that speech could speech could travel far faster than the First Amendment ever contemplated. One of the things about the First Amendment is this idea that if there is bad speech out there, we don't have to have the government shut it down because the marketplace of ideas will do so. Like books, editors will choose not to publish certain books, or if they do get published, other books will be published. And and there's time for reflection and debate. Social media has obliterated that. Because number one, everybody can put an idea out there, no matter how vile or stupid or objectionable it is. So there's that. And secondly, it can travel around the world in nanoseconds. And the process of correcting that in the marketplace of ideas is incredibly time consuming and frustrating. And in many cases, just ineffectual. Yeah. So we have this. and, And nearly impossible because once somebody says something and other people share it and put it out there more and amplify it, nobody amplifies the correction 
that, (laughs) you know, (laughs) even if it's that person who said, oh, I got this wrong. Nobody retweets that. Nobody says, oh, hey, you know, this guy was totally wrong. Well, <laughs> it how, just how boring is, is a correction, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, our, that's our problem. So the, the free speech stuff makes things, makes regulating what's going on in, in VR or the metaverse very challenging. Interestingly, a couple of attorneys were approached in one of the resources we cite, and they were asked, how would you prosecute a criminal act in the metaverse or in, in virtual mm-hmm. reality? And that is a very interesting question, I thought. And basically, the, their initial read on it is that if somebody, for instance, tried to murder another avatar or cause them, quote unquote, bodily harm, we're going to have to change our language, by the way. Yeah. That's yeah. a whole new area. But that ultimately the attempt to interfere with somebody's avatar would actually be a speech crime, that it would be a form of harassment or um, verbal assault, maybe intentional infliction of emotional distress. But obviously you're lacking the physical interaction that, that we use for most crime prosecutions. One distinction that occurred to me though that they didn't get into, you remember, um, which was a Glenn Greenwald or there was a no different guy. In any case, he sued a couple of people on Twitter. He was very aggressive at tracking them down because they had sent him images that triggered an epileptic episode. And I think he, he may have tried to sue Twitter as well, but he definitely sued the people who sent them. So you could imagine that happening in the metaverse as well. Um, But that's a little bit more remote. I think for the purposes of our show today, since we could talk about this for a long time, is that we really need to have parents focus on the risks to children, because that's really, I think, where the bleeding edge of this issue is right now. And so it comes at it from two, two perspectives, obviously access, who's actually using this, and then what can happen to them when they're in the metaverse? Yeah. And, and I think that those are, are questions that we, there's, there's so much depth to that and so much nuance to it. And, you know, I, I recently read a book about, um, about trauma called what happened to you by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey, a uh, really great book. And one of the things that they mentioned is that there is the three E's and I'm going to forget them now that I, now that I ask it, or now that I try to quote it, um, the three E's ways to define what trauma is. And what is really fascinating here is that different people can experience events in different ways. And so this the same thing applies to the metaverse as well, that something that could be very distressing for one person could not even be a blip on somebody else's radar. And it is so difficult to understand and explain that Um for each individual person. Just to fill you in, since I'm at my computer and it's (laughs) infinitely available. So it's events, experience, and effect. Very good. Events, experience, and effect. So the event that happens... Now I need to read the book. Yeah. (laughs) The experience that you had and the effect that it has on you. And those three things are are different for every person. And so um, we don't have time to get into all of that, but suffice it to say that because every person is going to experience it differently, 
something very troubling, like Kurt Eichenwald, who had who has epilepsy and received the the picture. That person, that Twitter troll, as the article called him, was actually arrested for sending that picture to the reporter. And that, I mean, that is a real issue. That if you have something like epilepsy that can be triggered like that, you don't know what you're getting, but you know, you open it up and there's that. Before we go, because we're at about the end here, I just want to note the interesting media examples that you um, that you put in the show notes because these are really fascinating. And Ready Player One, we didn't talk about, but is a is a really good idea of where I think people are trying to go. And then the other one that's really great is Free Free Guy, excuse me, which um, was actually a really well done movie because the main character by Ryan Reynolds is a non playable character in this video game who somehow breaks out of being a non-playable character and now gets to be a participant in the in the world that he wouldn't be able to otherwise. And that one I thought was a really fast... I really liked that movie. I thought it was well done and very interesting. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to buy into the Ryan Reynolds shtick. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> the guy has a shtick. He sure does, yes. Talk about being <laughs> typecast, I, right? <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Oh, parental consent Deadpool is, I mean, yeah. <laughs> doing like the suggested, suggested movies of Ryan Reynolds. That's one to keep your kids away from. Yes. But um, let me give you my quick current um, media recommendation, which ties directly into this, which is this uh, movie that's on Amazon or this series on Amazon prime called upload. And the mm-hmm. basic concept is it's a near future where we have the ability to take the soul of a dying person and upload it to a metaverse. And there's just wonderfully satirical commentary on the the trends of technology and modern life and so forth. But it raises a lot of these same issues. And I think that if you are at all interested in where the metaverse might go, that's, that's an interesting thing to take a look at. But obviously we can do more, I think at some point Jethro on some of the specific harms that people are identifying and the practical tips that parents can implement. Yeah, absolutely. All righty then. We will put that in the notebook for another day because <laughs> yes. I do not think this subject is going to go away anytime soon, but certainly check out the outline in our show notes to give you an idea of where we're going with this. And we look forward to any comments you might have. So that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we'll continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and obviously the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to a growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have guests, topic, or other questions, guest suggestions, or whatever. Anyway, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this show. Please leave us a five-star rating in your podcast service. We appreciate having you with us and look forward to having you join us for our next episode.